Dodnet Rocks episode 885 with guest Kit Eason. Recorded live Thursday, June 20th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklins.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePAK.com. And by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl. It's Richard. We're here. Kit Eason is here. We'll talk to him in a second. How are you doing, buddy? I'm uh, home for the a week. First time in six weeks, seven weeks. I honestly didn't expect to get whacked with jet lag that bad coming back. But Did oh you? man, I got nailed. Because we were in Oslo last week. Yeah. At the NDC. And yeah. yeah, and with your lovely wife too. Yep. Yep. We had a great time. Well, anyway, it took me 12 hours of sleep to recover, but that got me up at about 3 o'clock in the morning. And then nice. the next day, I was just completely wasted. I'm still recovering. It, it wasn't bad going there. And it's usually the other way around. Yeah, yeah. You know, you going to, to Europe's the hard part. Coming home is fine. Yeah. Oh, I've well. got a better solution, though. I've been jet-lagged since 2001. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I just can't tell. You know, I know that I can fall asleep for about six hours at any time. <laughs> You've seen me do it. Yeah. In the middle of conversation actually that's it i'm gonna go now <laughs> bye all right well let's start with better know framework and i got something special for you today all right what do you got i spent uh a good two or three days looking for a good file uploader that's web-based html5 javascript ajax whatever that calls web api on the back end lots of php examples out there Oh, yeah. Not a lot of web API. Granted, the server side isn't all that interesting, but it's still, I wanted a complete solution. Nope, couldn't find one. Well, I'm sure an alert listener is going to send me a URL now that I've written it myself. So that's what I did. I spent a couple of days after that writing um, with uh, JavaScript, HTML, jQuery, and web API on the back end. One of the biggest stumbling blocks I had is just getting base64 stuff to sync up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, base64 encoding on in JavaScript requires a library. And uh, on the server side, of course, you have .NET, and the two just never really worked. So what I did was I made a, my own sort of serializer, deserializer. Oh, yeah. Where I just take every byte and get the hex equivalent of it and make a big string. So essentially, I'm bloating it you know, twice the size of the file, but it works. Right. Yeah. And it uploads in chunks and it reports progress. And uh, it also does auto resume. And I'm working on, by the time you read this, it'll have this in in it nicely. Uh, It works in, in the lab, it works, that if you kill the network connection, it just sits and it retries. And so you pull the network connection back up, Boom. It just keeps going where it left off. Nice. It worked here, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, there you go. And it's at tinyurl.com slash Carl's File Uploader. By the time this show is published, it might also be somewhere else. I don't know. But at least that is a blog post that will have the current most current information on it. 
Nice. And I mean, needless to say, we do a lot of file uploading. We do. And so, you know, we have a, I have a Silverlight solution that I wrote a while yep. ago, but, you know, just it's outdated and we need, uh, we need something else. But I got to tell you, the Silverlight one works really nice. The whole just drag and drop files onto the panel and yep. let her rip. And can't tell you how many times I've just closed the laptop, walked away, connected something else and picked it back up again. Yeah. So, I, it'll be a while before you've got an HTML5 client that's that good, I Actually, think. it's not going to be that long. It may actually already, by the time this is published, it might actually be that. Give me back my drag and droppy. Yeah, it'll have drag and drop. It'll have multiple files. The drag and drop stuff turns out to be pretty easy. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. There you go. Know it, learn it, love it. Who's talking to us, Richard? Hey, grabbed a comment off of show 846. That's the one we did with Yan Kui talking about building games in F-sharp. Yeah. And uh, Abraham Vargas, uh, his comment says, uh, wow, just wow. You guys said Yan was the Hanselman of F-sharp. I'd say he's the Vince Offer, the sham wow guy of F-sharp, <laughs> with one great difference. Yan talks about useful things. Yeah. <laughs> I've been a listener for a couple of years now, and I think this is the first show where you were barely talking. <laughs> this has to be the show with more words per minute than I've ever listened to. Yeah, we had a hard time keeping up with him. Jan was wicked smart and very excited to be on the show and just ripped. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Which is fine, because it was just me, you know, played at half speed. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff about F-sharp. Right. But Abraham goes on to say, I remember my first encounter with functional languages back in college, which was in the 90s. There is a trauma induced by one specific course, developing a program to calculate the factorial of any number in C++ for the data structures course in the fourth semester. All of us engineer wannabes had to suffer for days, fight with hundreds of lines of code and several headaches, because Google didn't exist back then, <laughs> learning the basics of data manipulation to create a string manipulation algorithm capable of handling very big numbers. Then, the very next semester, we were introduced to Prologue by the same teacher, and I still remember his exact words. Remember last semester, the program we did to calculate the factorial? Yeah. You could see everybody's faces remembering the emotional distress caused by that class. <laughs> well, here you have it in a functional language. Three lines of code. Nice. Three freaking lines of code. Nice. It was a shock. It was an epiphany. It was a revelation that functional languages were cool. But after that class, reality came. Everybody went back to procedural languages and the real life of software development, while functional languages were relegated to math and science research centers. Or so everybody thought. Dun, dun, dun. But then things like F-sharp have brought functional languages into the real world arena, allowing companies like Yans to do amazing stuff with it. Unfortunately, breaking bad habits is hard, and the mentality shift required to use functional languages or any language other than the one we use every day. Remember VB programmers using VB.net? is really difficult. Why do you keep saying remember? Remember. <laughs> I mean, I love C-sharp, but VB is awesome, man. Yeah, and you know, the move from VB to VB.net was particularly evil because you was. could fool yourself. I thought, it, you know, VB.net and C-sharp had way more in common. It was easier to move to C-sharp. Well, I made a lot of money teaching people how to move from VB to VB.net. Yeah, you can't complain too loudly. Yep. It's true. Uh, he finishes with, uh, but change is possible, and today you are provided with more solid examples than I've known about functional languages being applied in the real world, not in the lab, not in a research center, but in a gaming company. Yeah. Can a programming language be cooler than that? Thank you for the exposure to a lot of things in your show, and I'm sure this show will spark the itch in all listeners to look more seriously into F-sharp. That is some comment. Yes, Abram, long one. I usually don't leave him that long, but it was a winner, man. So thanks so much for your uh, comment. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, you can write a comment on the website at .NET or on any of our mobile apps for 
iPhone, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. You can write comments there. They all go to the same comments engine. We'll all see them. And those great apps were built by Diatom Enterprises, who'd love to build you a mobile app. Just go to diatomenterprises.com. Awesome. Well, before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. Now they're releasing around 30 new courses every month. We wow. just found out, talking to Steve Woolley at uh, NDC. And they're still offering a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight, of course, offers a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let us introduce Kit Eason. Kit works for a major actuarial and financial services consultancy. Kit works in F-sharp and C-sharp to deliver rich, high-performance, predictive models. He talks about F-sharp to anyone who will listen, which is not everybody. He's right. <laughs> Love this bio. He is a regular speaker at Skills Matter in London. Please welcome Mr. Kit Eason. Hi, Kit. Hi. Pleased to meet you guys. Uh, High-performance predictive models. So this is the kind of stuff, the spooky stuff that, you know, is in the realm of maybe neural networks and things like that. It's a, I've, I've made it sound a bit more interesting than it is. Uh, what I always say to people is it's my job to work out when you're going to die. Oh, nice. man. So you work for <laughs> insurance companies, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we, uh, our, our day, my day job is to make sure that pension schemes remain viable. And to make sure a pension scheme remains viable, you need to know how long its members are going to live, how long they're going to pay in for, and how long they're going to claim their pensions for. Uh, and we write the models that allow our company to do that. It's kind of morbid, isn't it? I mean, and it's weird that an insurance company's question to you is, Find us all the people who we will never have to pay. <laughs> well, yes, indeed. Um, those are the customers we want. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're more on where our particular part of the company is more post hoc than that in that we're yeah. looking at established schemes and, and the membership of those but uh, you're right it is morbid um you you learn to get over it it's sure. just data uh and you uh, you find yourself after a few months talking about deaths and uh do you, uh, you do computations in micromorts <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, given F-sharp's wonderful um, ability to uh, strongly type things with units, so you can annotate something as being a, a liter or a meter uh, or a meter per second, actually, we could do that. Yes, we could add um, units of measure, as they're called, to our code, and that would guarantee that we were never dividing, you know, apples by oranges. Nice. Well, you know, and let's just get back to the data and the interesting part of this model. Um, I... I so just to recap, and I like to do this because F sharp isn't in functional isn't for everybody, and probably a lot of our listeners are C sharp developers. So let's just sort of recap the idea, which is instead of passing data around to functions, you pass functions around to functions. Uh, that is certainly part of it. Yes, um, uh, in F sharp, functions are first class uh, values, so there's no kind of extra ceremony around uh, injecting injecting a function into the parameters of some other function, and there would be just giving that function a value as an argument. Um, 
Uh, so there's no need to invent delegates or callbacks or anything right. like that. Uh, it's kind of hard to put into words. It's one of those yeah. things that you have to see to believe. And I would also say um, it's something you shouldn't be worried about because you don't have to understand that to start getting productive. So it's a feature that's there. You'd be surprised how smoothly it goes when you need it. Um, but uh, it's not something you have to understand up front. Well, and I guess any JavaScript developer who's done any real programming in JavaScript has passed functions as parameters and then those uh, yeah, to, to other I, functions I, and those functions call back those other functions and it all just sort of works nicely. Is that it sort is of quite a, akin, yeah, it's quite akin to JavaScript in that, in that sense. Um, the one way to differentiate it is just that um, uh, F-sharp is very strongly typed. Right. Um, in a way, it feels a bit sort of dynamically typed in the sense that uh, you don't always have to specify type information, uh, type information because uh, it's deduced by the compiler from context. But at runtime, um, it's all strongly typed, so you're never going to sort of assign a string into an integer or a boolean into a string and not know you've done it. Um, yeah. So, but it does from the from the point of view you're taking it, talking about uh, passing functions around, very JavaScript-like. So, and when you have massive amounts of data, such as you do, where does that data live? Do you do you cache that data and pull it over as you're working with a particular function, or does Every function have direct access to, you know, just a pile of data. How does that actually work? That that's a really interesting question. Um, uh, what alarms people coming from other languages, such as C sharp, is often the way that we in the F sharp world kind of slightly step aside from the whole object oriented model of doing things. Um, we can program in an object oriented way, so we've got the whole kind of inheritance model. We have interfaces, overrides, all that good stuff for when we need them, but we don't feel constrained to use them. Um, and that, once you get over, it's very liberating. Um, so if you don't, if you just want to take an array and you know multiply every element of that array by a particular interest rate and a particular time, you kind of just go ahead and do it. You don't spend a lot of time writing uh, sort of special helper methods and classes and all that kind of thing. Um, it sounds very scary to a lot of people, um, but the net result is you end up with much smaller code bases. And ironically, given that you think at first you're giving up some of your kind of comfort blankets, uh, it's a lot more reliable as well. Yeah, and so let me just keep drilling down in here. So you mentioned an array, and when you say an array in F-sharp, you're talking, you know, not just like a <laughs> a little yeah, array absolutely. we might use. I mean, we're talking an array. Yeah, <laughs> indeedy. <laughs> so I mean, where uh, is that? Where does that data live? Is it is it on well, the disk? Is it in memory? Is it sort of both? Where, how does that in, actually in, data model work? In, in our cases, I mean, in our particular case, as it happens, our, our back end is SQL Server, but it it, it might well be um, something else. One of the kind of newer generation of no no SQL stores and message queues and that kind of thing. But for the programming talking, interface, you just you just work with an array, and all of the data access well, just happens. Um. Well, there are several parts to the answer to that. The first thing is uh, a lot of the uh, types that are behind this are simply the CLR types. So mm -hmm. you've got access to arrays. You've got a lot of I enumerable kind of stuff. Um, you've got a certain amount of value-added stuff in F-sharp as well, sort of specifically functional data structures. Mm -hmm. um, but you would load data into those things in exactly the same way oh. as you would in C-sharp with a, a .NET method call. I got you. So, I mean, naively, let's say... Um, 
Uh, well, a good example actually is a, a, a little test program I wrote for someone who is having a lot of problems deduping very large files of postal code gotcha. data. When you uh, say very large, how large are we talking? Yeah. Ten, 10 gig, um, large Ooh. by our standards, um, but, but 10 gig. Um, okay. uh, and um, uh, he was having real problems with a, a C-sharp program to do that. Um, I was able to do it. It's on my blog, by the way, www.kitteason.com. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to do it in, I don't know, a couple of dozen lines of F-sharp. Uh -huh. And um, that, the, the way that, that I got the data in, I'm pretty sure, was just a um, uh, system.io.file.readalltext or read all lines. Um, so you read 10 gigs into memory? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. Um, people are very uh, free to um, free to uh, read the blog. Um, I've not looked at it myself in a little while, so the the details are slightly slipped into into the past. Um, but the interesting thing actually was that dedupe operation ran in less than five minutes, uh, and uh, if when I ran it in the context of a C sharp project, uh, it actually fell over. Um, so you, there are circumstances when you can actually deal with larger sets of data i'm just but wondering say, i'm just wondering what that what that is if there's any sort of um you know block you know chunky kind of data access happening so that you're not actually loading all 10 gigs into memory at the same time is there anything yeah. like that happening there in the certainly is yeah there certainly is as i say i can't quite remember what that particular program did mm. but um generally speaking that we have the concept in f sharp of a sequence and a sequence is really uh, a list of promises to do something when needed. So if we've got a bunch of calculations, let's say taking a monetary amount and multiply it by some interest rate, um, you would define that sequence. and It would kind of look like you were populating an array, mm. except the operation to calculate an individual value wouldn't happen until the first time that value was read. Right. And that does mean if you're careful about it, it does mean that you can do big things because you're not necessarily sort of realizing the, the entire array in reality in one go. Yeah. Good example of that actually would be um, it's possible to calculate the value of pi statistically. Um, uh, and the way you do that is you, is you plot an imaginary square uh, and in the, in the square you inscribe an imaginary circle uh, and then you plot uh, random points in the square and the proportion of those points that fits in the circle, that hit the circle as opposed to the sort of the little corners, uh, the ratio of that to the square as a whole it gives you pi. Um, and one of the ways you can do that rather than a loop is just a sequence, which is a promise, an infinite set of promises to calculate an XY position. Uh, and then you just sort of take the first million um, rows from that sequence and off you go. Just let it go. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, it's just really interesting why that's faster. Like, I'd really like to look at the IL because in the end, this all comes down to the CLR. You know, you're running against the same engine, right? Yeah, and I wouldn't want to leave everyone, anyone with the impression that using F-sharp is inherently faster or actually that it's inherently a larger set of data you can work with. I mean, that postcode example really, I think, was a bit of an anomaly, and we never actually got to the bottom of why we could fit more into an F-sharp program. But leaving that aside, there are theoretical grounds, actually, for believing that 
in extremis the performance of a functional program, and you often program in functional style in, in F-sharp, uh, only approaches the performance of a C-sharp, of a, an imperative program, say a C-sharp program, only approaches the performance of the imperative program. So actually you're saying that functional languages are inherently slower. Okay, so I certainly wouldn't want to go on record as saying that you'll automatically write faster software. But what does happen in practice is because you've got much simpler code bases, um, you can spend a lot more time on optimization and you don't get into this situation. I'm sure we've all had where we get lost in our own code and you think, sure, never. What did, what? <laughs> never done Maybe that. you don't. Maybe you don't, but I, it's, a, it's an awful feeling. It's even worse being I'm lost being in someone else's code. completely facetious, actually. Yeah, but the, 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 the genuine experience is because your code bases are smaller and simpler and more readable uh, and kind of obviously without errors rather than without obvious errors, you do actually end up producing more optimized code. So This is Billy well, Hall's but, basic mantra, right? Less code is better. Absolutely, yes. And, uh, you know, uh, we, I've done a little bit of, I was going to say research, but I think probably the real word is propaganda, where we, we analyzed some C-sharp and F-sharp code bases. And the uh, F-sharp code bases, firstly, were uh, a fraction of the size. And secondly, the lines that were in the F-sharp code bases, a much higher proportion of them were actual actually doing something if, if we define like a curly bracket or a mm. blank line or a comment as something that doesn't actually do anything um, then uh, f-sharp programs have much higher information density which means if you can see more of your program in a glance you're much more likely less likely to make a mistake right yeah that we it's hard to argue against the fewer lines of code I, but the big overhead here is is the retraining. You, you've spent years cultivating your C-sharp skills. How big of a step backwards are we going to take trying to get up to speed with F-sharp? Yeah, I think I, I can answer that from my own experience. I mean, I'm, I'm a, a pretty average developer. I mean, there are a lot of developers that I know that are better. Um, I'm not the youngest developer. I'm the wrong side of 50 now. Um, I'm slightly the right side of 50 when I started with F-sharp. Yeah. I've been doing Delphi work for about 15 years. Um, so I was new both to .NET and to F-sharp. I reckon I was more productive in F-sharp than I was in Delphi within a couple of weeks. You know, it's, it, it's that quick. Um, wow. My own, my own approach to it was to spend a lot of time early in the morning in coffee shops with a laptop. So no one would bug me. Uh, I recommend that. It's a bit fattening, um, but it gets the job done. And it really was such a quick process. Um, I would ask anyone who's even thinking about doing it to just put aside half a day, maybe a week's worth of evenings or early mornings. Uh, and if you're not hooked in a good way uh, in a week, I'd be very surprised. Mm -hmm. But I also think, you know, you've also been through a few languages. You've been around for a while. So I, I, yep. I fear for the folks who've only ever programmed in C Sharp. Yeah, uh, I think that's certainly true. Or, I mean, uh, there's another population of people who perhaps did Java at university and then moved into C Sharp, which is so similar right. um, from from 20,000 feet anyway. Um, and, do you know, I think us older programmers have a slight advantage because we dimly remember a time before object orientation. Sure, um, yeah. And while I wouldn't want to set F Sharp kind of in opposition to object orientation because it is an OO language, among other things, um, it is. It does slightly feel like coming home. 
um, to, to an older programmer who's perhaps huh. used to Fortran and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, I think I, you're quite right. If you've got exposure to a wider diversity of languages, it is easy. But that's no excuse, guys. If you're half my age, you can learn another language. Come on. <laughs> well, I think it's the functional mindset that's a little more threatening than just the language change. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, th I can still recall my thoughts when I sort of first heard about immutability. And yeah. Im immutability is this property where you assign a value and then you can't change it. And this is by default. In F-sharp, you have immutability on all your values. And you think, well, how could I write a program that does anything if I'm not allowed to change anything? And I think that's the, that's the biggest hurdle of all. Well, you know, uh, you, make, you make new variables. That's why. That's how you yeah, do exactly. it. Yeah, you, exactly. You're constantly sort of building, building a, a never-ending tower, which is disappearing at the bottom and, and reappearing at the top. <laughs> but that's it's really cool. Wait a minute. Whoa, that's a great little <laughs> visual there. Say yeah, that again. Yeah, Can you say that okay. again? Sure, yeah. You're, you're building a tower that's disappearing constantly at the bottom and you're building on top so it's almost like its foundations are disappearing into the mud and you kind of once they're out of sight you don't worry about them and you're building new stuff on the top and you and can of course, go when back you're in a, yeah you can go back and reach into that tower um for a certain if, amount of things if you yeah, need if, to if you need to but I've, i the, the, these are all things which are kind of barriers and i think the thing to do uh, psychologically is, is just to jump in um don't be scared by words like immutability above all yeah. don't be scared of, of things like functional um you can write in a c-sharp style if you like that's absolutely fine you can define your values as being mutable uh, and off you go and in fact there's nothing wrong with sort of localized mutability it's just a change in the defaults um, and you know it is a lot easier than I'm making it sound I think that probably the one of the biggest challenges that I find uh, with talking to developers who have not yet done the functional thing is they're not quite sure they know you know what problems they're trying to solve would be better solved with a functional language like F sharp yeah one of the problems we have is that um, it's kind of historically been seen either as a rather academic thing or perhaps something that a big bank might use and no one else would. Um, that kind of outlook on life is history. If I'm looking through, if you go to fsharp.org, which is the F-Sharp Foundation's webpage, there's a uh, part of that which is all about testimonials, and you will be astounded by the range of applications. There, there is sort of fairly mundane financial stuff, which is what I do. There is game stuff, which you, you've just been seeing in the praises of Yang Kui, and his stuff is amazing. Millions of players are in social gaming. Uh, and you've actually got people doing you know, quantum computing research using F-sharp-based simulators. So I think the, it's another case where don't think about it too much. If you've got a programming problem um, that you need to solve, then give F-sharp a go. I think the, the one place where you leave the sweet spot is in the area where you need a lot of tooling, and that really means UI. Yeah. So you won't generally find much in the way of um, sort of uh, forms designers that will use F-sharp kind of directly as their, um, as their uh, code behind. But certainly Likewise, if the boss comes and says, you know, we're big data now. Yeah. You know, then yeah, now you... If you're, if, yeah. if you're big data on a .NET stack... Um, I think without wanting to be offensive to, to, to any group of people, you would be mad not to at least have a serious look at F-sharp. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like an essential tool for the back-end developer toolkit these days. 
Yeah, and that's ex exactly how our, um, our our app that I'm working on for my employer works. We have a fairly conventional uh, ASP.NET uh, MVC front end, um, and then the uh, the other layers, which is uh, a bunch of file uploading stuff uh, and a bunch of actuarial calculating stuff, all F sharp. Um, and that is a classic case where, because the tooling, the Razor View engine, and all that kind of thing is C sharp oriented that's fine um, uh, and then the other stuff which is much more back-end stuff requires performance and parallelism uh, and has the potential to be quite obscure code uh, it's all in f-sharp yeah i get back to that you know is it readable but i guess fewer lines of code always makes it readable sure yeah, I wouldn't, not, not all the time. I think it's very possible to write fairly obscure F sharp code. Um, there's a tradition of quite short variable names or value names and that kind of thing. Um, you can be wantonly obscure. Um, right. there are people out there, I won't name them, but she knows who she is, who are <laughs> hacking the, hacking the F sharp compiler in order that they can use, um, Unicode characters as operators. Uh, so what? in her code. <laughs> I think I may know who you're talking about there, but so so yeah. you're saying that there's a a sort of a culture of uh, short variable names that it isn't obviously necessary because it is not it is not necessary. We have CLR, um, we can call our values whatever we want, but I guess if you're typing a lot of them over and over again, you know you're thinking yeah. of variables that don't nec aren't nec necessarily nameable variables, maybe. That's true. And I guess because you're encouraged to keep your functions really short, which I guess is good practice in any language, it's much more obvious from context what the meaning of a particular variable is. So you can get away with X and N and so forth um, because you can see exactly what the role of X or N is in, the, in this little three-line function. The first programs I ever wrote was used A dollar sign and B dollar sign. Ha! <laughs> yes. <laughs> String declarations. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, $8 <laughs> sign. Hey, Richard, guess what time it is? Ah, oh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to predict the exact date of my next big data recursive thought cycle. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, reaching there. I'm sorry. No, it's uh, time to give away a Telerik DevCraft complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Awesome. But before I do that, I got to tell you that Telerik recently released DevCraft for Q2 2013. The 10 new controls and over 250 new features across all six of their UI control suites allow you to cover more scenarios out of the box. Tile list for Ajax, calendar, data storage, touch, and more for Windows 8, as well as offline cloud data synchronization for Windows Phone and Cloud MBOS are just a few of the major new things. The newly introduced graph interactivity support in Telerik Reporting helps you create even more interactive reports. Just Code's new integration with Just Decompile allows you to debug third-party libraries without having the source code available. Check it out at Telerik.com. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Awesome. And who's our winner today, buddy? Our winner today, and I'm sorry I don't have the, the hand clappers. They're in my suitcase at home. But our winner today is... Oh, wait a minute. No. Oh, yeah. I, one? I got... Hang on a second. I got him. <laughs> <laughs> got to have the clappers. They're in the box, Richard. I got I didn't him. take any home. I need clappers, All too. All right. I got him. You ready? All right. Our winner, Aaron Jackson. Uh, congratulations, Aaron. Yeah. I gotta clap the old fashioned way. It's so archaic. I thought they were I thought they were at home, but nope, they're right here in the box. 
Nobody, everybody who came into our fishbowl at NDC played with the clappers. Yeah, I only got three of them back. Did you take one? I didn't take any. I don't, I don't know. I lost one. We had clapper theft. Lost the clapper. They didn't take the laptops. They didn't take the video cameras. <laughs> they took the clappers. <laughs> anyway, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're giving away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. That's everything that Telerik does in one box, every show. And uh, all you got to do is be a member of the fan club. Go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and you'll be a member too. We have thousands of members. Every show, like I said, we give away stuff. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the fan club. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we'd like to ask our guests, Kit, if you had five large, is that how you say it in the... in? In England, if you had five large <laughs> to spend on uh, technology, toys, gadgets, whatever, what would you buy? Oh, wow. Um, I would buy the kit necessary to do mobile development. Yeah. Uh, one of I everything. love that one. Yeah. And I would buy myself a script subscription to Xamarin's Test Cloud. That would be a great prize. That was one great of the prizes that we thought about uh, giving away, and we offered that to our last winner, Rob Corbett, but he opted for a PC. But yeah, we could give away one of everything. Plus, yeah, when we, when we priced it out, it's like iPad, iPad Mini, Android tablet, Kindle HD, all the phones, uh, all the phone, an iPhone, an Android phone, a Windows phone, a, a Surface, like one of everything comes to about five grand. Yeah. So that's a good spot on. That's a good pick. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> and yeah, and you're right. The uh, the Xamarin Cloud stuff is excellent. Yeah. Very exciting. It just keeps getting better too. For sure. So, so you're bringing F Sharp development into an organization. What kind of resistance are you going to ru- run up against? What are the problems? Challenges. Uh, the challenges are, um, I think, twofold. They come at you from two directions. And this is assuming you've kind of got your head around F-sharp itself, which is not hard. Um, there's the management side and there's the devs side. Um, and you need to decide which you're going to tackle first. Um, mm. Management side, I think there's obviously a, there's a credibility issue. Um, Microsoft don't push F sharp very hard, mm-hmm. so they won't they won't have read executive sort of style articles uh, enjoining them to use F sharp. And if they haven't done that, a lot of them will will run a bit scared. Um, and then on the dev side, I think it's what we said before. There's a learning curve. People are frightened of doing something that they haven't already done. Right. They're very scared of a productivity dip, and frankly, they don't see why they should. Um, right. There, there are developers out there. Here we call them nine to five developers. You hardworking North Americans would probably call them eight to five developers. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, who I like who, um, Hanselman's term: dark matter developers. Right. You know they're there. You just can't see them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. There, there are people who perhaps maybe never even kind of initiated a project in their own right. They they can sort of edit code, but uh, perhaps that's as far as it goes. And they are very threatened. And uh, I have—I was talking to a guy who I was surprised actually to find was uh, an F sharp developer now, as he put it. Curly bracket languages are dead to me now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what's the what is the F sharp uh, you know equivalent of the curly bracket? Uh, it's actually indenting, and this is another thing which does surprise people. Your your kind of lexical scope is defined by the indent level. Uh, sounds crazy, works out well, saves you about half your vertical 
screen height. Um, but anyway, going back to the guy who I just quoted, and if you're out there, Johnny Spittle, hi. Um, <laughs> he, has, he has had problems in the past with, with kind of um, developers running away, um, not from the organization, but running away from, from the concept. Um, and you, that will happen. I think you kind of have to accept that. Um, the thing not to do is what I sometimes do, which is simply to get cross. doesn't seem to help. Um, yeah. uh, but you will, if developers are worth hanging on to, this is, I'm going to be slightly confrontational here. If they're worth hanging on to, they'll learn it. And I think once they see which way the wind is blowing management-wise, um, then they will uh, flock towards it. We, we often say in the sort of F-sharp community, once people get hands-on, there's no going back, but there's that little sort of um, push that they need to spend those few hours in the coffee shop. Um, that is often the problem. What sort of things did you, when you were in that coffee shop, what were you doing? Did you uh, like, take on oilers or did, did you try particular katas? Yeah, that's that's a good point. There's the there's the oiler problems, E-U-L-E-R. Um, I can't remember the URL off the top of my head, but it's a oh. bunch of programming problems. Yeah. Um, and you can solve a lot of those uh, in F-sharp. I, I did something unusually astute by my standards, which is I got a book of actuarial mathematics, uh, which uh, uh, is actually David Promislow's book for those, who, those uh, of our listeners who are in the industry. And I simply did all the exercises uh, at the end of the chapters in F-sharp rather than sort of hand calculating them or doing them in Excel, which is what the author's intent was. Mm -hmm. And that firstly strengthened my actuarial knowledge, which is a bit shaky. Uh, and secondly, obviously, it gave me a great set of short exercises to do in F-sharp. And it also meant I could then, when I was talking to kind of senior developers or, or management in my organization, I could say, well, look, here is how you would calculate a cash flow. Here is how you'll, you know, discount a cash flow and bring it back to the present value uh, in a couple of lines of code. And that's a, that's a real pattern for where you have to go with this, which is you have to keep your advocacy relevant to the business in hand. There's no point, there's absolutely no point in presenting Euler problems as examples right. in, a manage, in a management context. That's, that's no good at all. Well, it's also a real solid proof to really go and grab the algorithms that your company currently runs on. They don't have to be actuarial ones. could be anything. Yeah. And, just re and then rewrite them and compare them. That's good evidence for you yourself to say, hey, look how many fewer lines of code are, you know, does it run faster or slower? Just that, yeah. see the advantage so you can show it to others. Yeah, and it also means that when you do hit issues, and obviously F-sharp isn't a magic bullet, if there are issues that are specific to your industry, uh, like, for instance, your data sets are extremely large, or you require such low latency that you can't be in a managed environment, you know, right. which is you know, sometimes the case, then you'll find out about them rather than sort of doing this big advocacy thing and then being sort of cut off at the knees by a C++ programmer. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think, uh, a bit of research, relevant examples, proof of concept is the way to go. Yeah, and it's it's honest too. I mean, if you can't live in a managed environment, C sharp's going to not going to save you either. Yeah, that's but. certainly true. Um, there, there is there is there for sure there are sort of performance pitfalls with F sharp, and you need to have made the mistakes in your domain, I think, to to get credibility. Right. So more evidence, better. Yeah. But, I mean, the bottom line here is as a responsible developer, just this mindset of, I think we can make better applications here. And speed's one aspect, but clarity of code's another. 
Absolutely, yes. And one of the big wins we've got uh, is that we have actual resources actually in team. Um, mm-hmm. And you can look at the code they've produced. And if you look at the code and you hold up a PDF of the mathematical paper that they've based it on, which will be some kind of curve-fitting algorithm or whatever, you can easily map by eye from a bit of the code to uh, an element in the equations in the paper. Mm. Um, if you contrast that with a lot of OO code where you spend 20 minutes trying to find where something's actually done, um, that's a really big win for us. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I got the other issue I think you're going to, I would run into with some organizations is they, they're trying to live in a one language world. It's like C sharp everywhere. And so introducing a new language, irrespective of the language is a big deal. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that, I mean, I, I, I get that myself in the sense I don't personally particularly like writing JavaScript because it's something that's an un- unknown quantity to me. So I kind of edit examples at random until they, they seem to run. And from that experience, I have to sympathize with anyone who kind of wants to stick with with one language. Um, I have to say, after a few weeks' experience, you kind of become blind to the transition. You just right. don't worry about where you are. You are just using the right tool for the job, mm-hmm. doing something very imperative, which is you know handling button clicks or um, validating fields in a UI. You're in C Sharp. Uh, if you are valuing a pension scheme, you might well be in F sharp and you kind of, there's no perceptible gear change between the two sets of code. Um, I think the biggest barrier is, uh, from a managerial point of view, the biggest perceived barrier is the size of the market for uh, F sharp developers, which is pretty small. Um, uh, and I, th- I personally think that is the biggest kind of credible criticism that could be made i I think that might be a a good thing for a manager i mean somebody who wants to hold on to developers if there aren't isn't such demand for them then perhaps uh you know they don't have to worry about them being hired away Um, yeah that's 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 true and we're kind of getting away from the commodity market which is a good thing i think from both sides Uh, the other thing is that if people are taking an interest in something relatively new like f sharp it's a good differentiator for who cares and who doesn't the one thing that I think is helpful and would be helpful, maybe you can point us to something like this on the web, are some resources where, you know, obviously somebody's working with big data or, you know, they have a, a problem that a functional uh, language like F sharp would solve somewhere where we can see the C sharp equivalent of what can be done in, in F sharp and have several of those examples to bring up and actually run and so they can say there's empirical evidence that you know this this program is uh, less lines of code you know runs in a smaller amount of memory whatever it is you know than than this one and look at all this spaghetti code in c sharp um, yes, I, I couldn't tell you uh, a place that does specifically that, that has side-by-side code examples. I have come across blog posts which, which do do that, yeah. um, and maybe we can do a bit of research for that and sort of um, post some links uh, after the program. Um, I'll give you a slightly higher level couple of alternatives, one of which is a um, blog post by a person whose name is, uh, a second... Right, by a person called Simon Tyler Cousins. That's, for my English accent, that's T-Y-L-E-R, Simon Tyler Cousins. He's www.simontylercousins.net. 
uh, and he's got a, a blog post called Does the Language You Choose Make a Difference? Um, where he compares the kind of size uh, and efficiency of code bases. Uh, he does quite a lot of metrics there. And that's, as I say, not a code, not a side-by-side -side code example, but a great example of where you end up with. Um, there's an element of propaganda in that. Um, I wrote the code that produces the charts on that, and I did it specifically as a kind of uh, almost like a T-shirt slogan exercise. <laughs> um, the other thing, some work which I think Don Syme, that's, that's Don S-Y-M-E, yeah. on his blog has referred to, where he's run some, code, some slightly more sophisticated code metrics than mine um, across the type system of some well-known C-sharp and F-sharp uh, libraries that are available through NuGet. And what that analysis does is it produces a diagram of the relationship between the various classes and shows you sort of something about the kind of cyclic complexity of the code. And some of the charts that is produced for C-sharp projects are simply, they're just hilarious. You have to zoom back a lot to, to see the whole diagram. So uh, that's at the higher level than what you asked for, but uh, that that's, would be my starting point for a, a comparison of the two. Um, going to the sp sort of specific learning examples, there are plenty of blog posts around which, um, which compare the two. There are, yeah, there are a few out there. It is a, a, a trick. Um, how, what's when it comes to actually building apps in F Sharp? What about the rest of the infrastructure? What about things like testing and scaling? Uh, you know, deployment requirements. Are there are there some surprises? There certainly are. Um, I'll start with testing. There's a, a lovely unit test framework called FS Unit, um, which leverages the uh, the kind of standard uh, test frameworks. I think it I think it's built on top of N Unit, but I wouldn't swear to it. Um, and that will give you an extremely fluent uh, unit testing experience. Um, we have about uh, coming up for 6,000 unit tests in our latest project, uh, and they're a joy to behold. Um, I won't go into the full details, but unit testing in F Sharp is actually somewhat easier, I would say, than, than in, uh, in, in other languages. Um, other parts of the infrastructure, the only slight issue we've had is build. Um, in particular, you need to find a way of getting the F-sharp compiler onto your build service. Um, we actually ended up installing the whole of Visual Studio on the build server. I know that's something that DevOps people frown on. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that, uh, all IT people frown on that. <laughs> you just push Richard's buttons. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was, I'll, I'll moderate my next comment, which yeah. is uh, anyone who, who has strong opinions about that just needs to work out a way of, of getting the appropriate sort of elements yeah. uh, onto the build server. That, so, is, that is really the only hitch we've hit kind of in the pipeline. So it is a, it, there are deployment issues, like getting stuff out there properly. Yeah, and but as I say, I think it's just the compilation side. And your output from your F# -sharp compiler is just CLR code. It's just an assembly like anything else. So once you've got it built, you don't really have to treat it any differently. The whole of the rest of the kind of .NET infrastructure, your uh, app.config files, um, all that kind of stuff uh, is is just there exactly as it would be for C# -sharp. So I went out and did a quick search while we were talking about this around exactly that issue, because I, I think that's pretty important. You know, again, my IT hat on, thou shalt not put studio where studio should not live. 
Uh, and so there's got to be a way to solve this. Uh, I'll, I'll, add, I'll add this forum post to the show notes as well. It looks like the thought here is uh, without Studio 12, you can't find basic.net assemblies. And uh, But if you install the Windows uh, SDK for Windows 8, which interestingly it requires 8, that actually includes all of those libraries. Yeah, I, I mean... It's exactly the same problem you were talking about, Kit. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You're kind of outside my comfort zone there. I certainly can't see DevOps people leaping to put uh, Windows 8 on, on a build server. Mm. Um, uh, I think it's uh, a question of being pragmatic at the moment, which is what we were, and, and putting Visual Studio on there. Because obviously, in this case, it's it's going on there mm. for oh, a reason. It doesn't reason. have to be the 8.1. Any of the Windows SDK libraries will do that. Yeah, I mean, that's a wider point. If you... Uh, if you get stuck with anything really with F-sharp, whether it be build or unit testing or coding or whatever, um, questions on Stack Overflow and related sites get answered really quickly and the, the answers are of extremely high quality. Um, uh, uh, the F-sharp team themselves aren't that far away in terms of accessibility. The, the kind of uh, the father of F-sharp, Don Syme, keeps a paternal eye on the whole community. Um, mm. If there's something that's a real showstopper for you, if you make a bit of noise about it, places like Stack Overflow or even Twitter, it'll get sorted. Yeah, it's clearly there's a lot of love going on here. Uh, I got when I tweeted that we were talking to you, the first question that come up on Twitter came from the uh, the Nashville Functional Programmers uh, Twitter handle Nash FP, and I'll include their link too. Who says, uh, "How do we help people realize staying with C sharp in 2013 is more embarrassing than staying with VB in 2004?" Yeah, I often find myself uh, drawing analogies like that. I mean, I'm old enough to remember a time. I remember my boss criticizing another part of the bank where we were working. Um, and they said, he said, uh, th those COBOL programmers don't like SQL messing up their nicely formatted code. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm being slightly confrontational about this. And I, I think we're in a similar situation where oh, you've got one camp who are kind of defending flat file, ISAM file based systems. And you've got these pesky SQL key people saying we can do the same thing in, in a few lines of code. It kind of feels like that era. Um, people like me are are getting a little bit more militant this year. I, d I did say to a couple of my sort of uh, fellows in the community, I've decided to be militant in 2013, and they backed away, laughing hysterically, and and and, and said, "You mean you weren't before?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I can hear the aggressiveness in your voice. You really ought nice. to calm down over there. <laughs> the British are coming. <laughs> but you bring up an interesting point when you talk about SQL, because SQL is also the language. Whenever someone says, "Hey, we're C sharp only uh, shop," I'm like. Don't you use SQL? Because, mm. you know, it's a language. Mm. It also yeah. happens to be a functional language, too. Indeed, people, mm. there's a lot of SQL out there. There'll be JavaScript in any serious yeah. kind of web-based thing. You're quite likely to have PowerScript or Batch scripts in there. You'll yeah. be using regular expressions, which is a little mini language in itself. So uh, Using Link? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Monocultures um, are a lie. We're all polyculture here. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. And, uh, you know, we're all, we, we need to be polyglot programmers. I guess the other thing is, if you just learn F-sharp as a personal exercise, regardless of the kind of organizational issues, you will find you're a much stronger link programmer and a much stronger C-sharp programmer. Absolutely. I think a lot of C-sharp programmers find themselves just relying on ReSharper to write their link for them. 
right, hands yep. up who's guilty of that. Um, <laughs> if, you, if, if you get your head around the way F-sharp handles I enumerables and lambda functions and that kind of thing, you'll be able to write link from scratch. And, and just not a big deal yeah. either. Yeah. I also think, you know, we're getting into this whole right tool for the right job. We're not saying not you don't use C sharp. There's places where C sharp makes a lot of sense. No one yeah, no one's saying that. Um I don't know of any systems which are hundred percent F sharp. Um people have made sterling efforts in that direction. But we are paid in our day jobs to get the job done. Um, and uh, the business is, is not ultimately interested in our programming style. It's interested in can we, uh, you know, uh, wrangle those bits to get them in the right place. Um, and we do whatever it takes to, to generate a system which does that and which is a maintainable system. And uh, using the right language is a big part of that. So, Kit, what's next for you? What are you working on now? Uh, well, we are coming to the end of our current project, which has been a great success. Um, I will be pushing out a bit to mobile. There's some very interesting things uh, being done by Xamarin uh, in the F-sharp mobile arena, and I will be looking very seriously at that. Awesome. Kit Eason, thank you very much for spending this time with us. It's always, uh, it's always good to talk about F-sharp with somebody who knows what they're talking about. No, It's been a joy. Thanks, guys. Yep. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Plop Productions providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklin's.com. .net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 